Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. We've been journeying through Luke, as you may know, as a church for what feels like quite a long time now. And we're going to be taking a break from Luke and starting a new sermon series, which we are calling An Undivided Life. As a staff team, we've been carrying this sense that God is speaking to us about living wholeheartedly for him. And um, during a prayer meeting, Adnan, who's one of the leaders in our Mylen service, he, um, the uh, the team were praying, and he had this sense again, and it felt like what he described as a holy moment where he was reminded of Um, In the Old Testament, Elijah's mission to lead people away from idols to the true God. And in 1 Kings, it says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And here, opinion means divided in mind. And the sense was that that is the question being asked of us in this season Who are we following? Like it or not, we are all changing every day. And we're being shaped by something, and that might be God. It might be work, it might be money, it might be sex, it could be a combination of all these things. And this is an opportunity for us as a church to stop, reflect, and take um, stock of who or what is primarily shaping us. And if the Lord is God, how can we reorient our lives and follow him over and above all things? So we're really excited about this um, series. Over the weeks, we're going to be talking about the heart, mission, community, worship. And today, I've got the pleasure of kicking off the series talking about the renewal of our mind. And we're going to be thinking about how our inner thought life shapes us. And as I was praying, I sat with my Bible open and I was asking God, what are you saying? And it was quite simple. I believe that he was saying that there is more peace available to us. There is more joy. There is more hope. There is more love. There's freedom from some of the thinking traps that maybe we have fallen into or maybe we've been stuck in a while. And these might be really obvious, they might really clearly be impacting you, but they might as easily be little niggles that in and of themselves aren't a big deal, but actually over time, their presence leads you to maybe not invest fully in relationships or um, not push for the next thing at work because your thought life is holding you back. Or maybe it just keeps you stuck in your own head. Either way, John 10 says Jesus came to give life in all its fullness. And I believe there is more for us. And so this talk is hopefully going to help us think about how we can access more of this freedom. We're going to be looking at the power of the mind and how we renew our minds through watchfulness and meditation. So without further ado, on to our passage. Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. Should come up. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't judge me, but over Christmas, Dan and I were watching Robbie Williams' documentary on Netflix. Robbie is a... Who else has seen it? Anyone? Oh, good. He's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, If you don't know who Robbie Williams is, he's a former member of Take That. I'm not going to sing it, but the songs are great. And he is now a solo artist. He has a net worth of around 245 million, so Google tells me. And in the documentary, he revealed struggles he's had with his mental health and with addiction. He said something that struck a chord. He said, it was so difficult to wake up and be in my head every day. I needed a break from opposing sides of my head. John Milton, in A Paradise Lost, phrases it very eloquently and says, The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell, or a hell of heaven. The mind, at best, functions beautifully to help us be the best version of ourselves. But at worst, it makes us feel like we are in a prison we can't escape. The greatest area of bondage or freedom can be in our minds. And what do I mean when I talk about the mind? Well, the most helpful definition I've found is our directed attention, what we're thinking about, focusing on, and giving our time to. And the backstory that drives what we are paying attention to is, and um, giving our attention to is the context we're in, but also our personal story. My mind and mindset has similarities, yet differences to yours. It comes from the mental maps we have inherited through our upbringing, our physiology, our personality, habits, any difficult experiences we've had, and life experiences along the way. Psychologists often talk about the biopsychosocial model to understand mental health, and you can see this on the screen behind me. And these all play a role in shaping who we become. And this is why for some, the the battle of the mind can be harder than for others. Our minds are hugely powerful. Both Hitler and Mother Teresa use their minds in powerful ways, one for evil and one for good. Caroline Leaf, a Christian neuroscientist, talks about the power of the mind. And she says, your mind is designed to control the body of which the brain is a part, not the other way around. Matter does not control us. We control matter through our thinking and choosing. We cannot control the events and circumstances of life, but we can control our reactions. In fact, we can control our reactions to anything, and in doing so, we change our brains. I'm just going to share a small, silly example of the power of the mind. Over Christmas, Dan and I took our three kids bowling. So... I'm not joking when I say the first five goes that I took were terrible. Honestly, it was shambolic. I'm going to blame the fact that I was left-handed, but any left-handers out there are going (laughs) to not appreciate that. So I was doing so... (laughs) So I was getting like one, two, three pins down each time. I'm not kidding. My five-year-old son was beating me. He didn't have any bumpers up or aids, and he was beating me. So I sat there thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm just so bad at this. I'm just like, this is just shocking. And then I thought, Lou, sort yourself out. You are researching 
the renewal of your mind, you can change this. Suddenly, everything changed. I visualized success. I visualized myself clapping and cheering after the end of each go. Philippians 3 was running through my head about reaching for the prize. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not joking, guys. I smashed it after that. Every single go was a half strike, and my score drastically improved. What changed? Not my circumstances, but my mindset. So if our minds are powerful, we can really use it to help us. But so often, the opposite is true. It can be the very thing that holds us back. And this is going to be no surprise to you because this battle of the mind has been in the spotlight so much recently with the explosion of people seeking help. The slide you can see shows how prevalent mental health problems are. In the past 12 months, study found that 38% of people had struggled with anxiety for a period of time. 28% had expressed a depressive phase. And of course, for those who don't follow neatly into the category of having anxiety or depression, at times it can be still really hard to manage intrusive thoughts or worrying thoughts, depressive thoughts that come our way. Sociologist Corey Keyes talks of languishing, the neglected middle child of mental health, the feeling of being stuck and empty. You're not clinically depressed, but you're not thriving either. You're just fine. When people have asked how I am the last couple of weeks, I've been like, just fine. <laughs> January fine. And this isn't a problem just outside the church. And if I'm honest, it can feel hard at times to reconcile the life that Jesus offers us. He came to give life in all its fullness. But how do we thrive and live this life when it can feel like there's such a battle going on in here? We can sing, I trust and obey you, God, on a Sunday, and we haven't even reached our front doors before some of the nagging thoughts can come. Or maybe it was, oh, you're so stupid for what you said today. Or how am I going to cope with the week ahead? We can crave an undivided life, but the reality can feel really different. But I've got good news for you, because there is hope and there is help. Now, I am not a neuroscientist, but I've been reading people who are... And I've, I hope that by sharing some research, it will help you as it has been helping me. So what we think about physically shapes our brain. On the slide is a picture of a toxic thought in the brain. When we repeatedly have a toxic thought, it becomes a well-worn neural pathway. And so it becomes easier to have that thought again. So an example of this, if I'm going somewhere new in London, I have my Google, I'm not great with directions. Um, <laughs> I have my Google Maps and I'm following it the whole way. The next time I go to that place, I may have my Google Maps up sometimes, but I kind of remember the way. But over, as time goes on, as I do that route again and again, I can just go there on autopilot. And before I know it, I haven't even realized where, that I've been going that way. And the same is true for thoughts in our brain. The first time we have a thought, it can really take us by surprise. But if we're not careful, we can have that thought again and again. And then it becomes unconscious, and we don't even realize we're having it. But the exciting thing is that our brains are malleable, and we can relearn new patterns of thinking. Sounds easier said than done, <laughs> maybe. Is it not just wishful fantasy that we will start to think differently? 
I'm not here to deliver pop psychology. I'm here to bring and share the word of God. And it, the Bible says it is possible to transform our minds and be made new just as these verses talk about. But it takes work. We need to partner with God to renew our minds. In Exodus, God led the Israelites out of Egypt, but they had to walk. We can walk free, but we have to move too. Our passage for today talks about renewing our minds. I'm going to say this wrong, but anakaneu is the word for renewing the mind, which means making new again. The passage says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To state the obvious, it says we can be transformed. And notice it says renewing, the present continuous tense. We want a quick fix sometimes, like do it once and then we're sorted. But it's not that. It's a, well, I would say it's a daily practice. But the first step is knowing our thoughts can change. Let me pause here. What is the thought that goes on in your head on repeat? You're not as good as so-and-so. You won't succeed. It's your fault. We have a script that can dictate how we see ourselves. And just as an aside, I love that we talk about mental health more these days. But we must remember our mental health, good or bad, isn't our identity. We may be experiencing depression, but that is not who we are. We might experience panic attacks, but our identity isn't an anxious person. We are a child of God who is clearly loved, dearly loved. The label might help with treatment and accessing help, and that is brilliant, but it doesn't define us. And what we speak over ourselves or others will help or hinder this truth. And we mustn't discount the fact that there is a spiritual war going on. We can get stuck in what they sometimes call a double trauma. It's when we experience a struggle of some kind. And then the enemy feeds us lies to keep us there. You've been let down. And so you live with a fear of trusting again. You fail at something, so you don't trust yourself to try again. Divorce is in your family, so you don't risk getting into a relationship. You lose yourself, you lose someone to illness, and you believe that that is your fate too. Remember, in Genesis, Satan comes not with a sword, but an idea. Did God really say you mustn't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you're a new creation? Did God really say you can trust him with everything? For years after I recovered from depression, I would have these repeated thoughts that ba where basically I just felt like I was too weak as a person. Now, these weren't kind of debilitating lies that I was believing. I was just carrying them around with me. But it was enough to be living with this permanent state of dis-ease, enough for me to get a bit stuck. So we need to flip the switch and start to change some of these narratives, becoming aware of them and changing them. And the simplest way of explaining this is an analogy that I borrowed from John Mark Homer, who I think has borrowed it from someone else. So I want you to picture your mind like a garden. Now, a garden can be neatly manicured or it can be chaotic and overgrown. 
to get and keep our gardens in order, there are things that need to happen. We need to keep the weeds out and plant new seeds and prune what's there. A gardener gets rid of the weeds, watchfulness, remember that, and pays attention to how they want it to grow, meditation. This shapes how the garden looks, and this is how we renew our minds. Watchfulness and meditation shape our inner reality. Watchfulness means recognizing there is a war for our minds and a battle for our souls. And what we allow in will shape us. It's proactive. If you want a healthy body, you take care of what's going into it. It's the same with the mind. And our verse today in Romans 12 warns us about conforming to the pattern of the world and offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Social media, what series we're watching, the news, who we spend time with will all shape our mindset. And part of being watchful is looking at what is shaping us and ensuring your values and your behaviors align. Our choices around food, sleep, exercise, and physical habits will determine how healthy our mind and brains are. So we're going to get practical now. I'm going to share one way I am choosing to be watchful on a daily basis. A few months ago, I realized I had lots of healthy rhythms on the outside, but there were negative thoughts I was experiencing that weren't shifting. I mentioned it earlier, but thoughts like, oh, I'm too weak for that, or sometimes I would fear the worst in situations just to avoid being disappointed. But it dawned on me that I have responsibility for my thought life. No one else was going to sort it out other than me. I was letting weeds grow in my garden, and they had become part of my identity. So I started doing an exercise, which we do in steps at step 10. It's a, a type of daily inventory. And Caroline Leaf, the neuroscientist I talked about earlier, talks about a similar thing. Just so happens that it's an embodiment of Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, by the end of each day, I am tired. Dan will tell you that. I'm very tired. But this takes me less than five minutes to do. At the end of every day, I get out a journal. The, the act of actually writing is better than typing it into your phone. And I do the following. Number one, I uncover. I write down any negative or disturbing thoughts I've had. Any difficult feelings? What were they? Do I know where they came from? Number two, I reflect. Are they true? What does God say about them? I might have told myself I'm a terrible cook, but would God say that? No, he wouldn't. I'm not a bad cook. <laughs> Number three, I am grateful. I thank God for three things I am thankful for from that day. Sometimes they're tiny, but I, I find three things. And number four, I meditate and pray. I think of one simple Bible verse related to point two, and I meditate on it on the next day. Cast all your cares onto him because he cares for you. It doesn't have to be a big verse, just one simple verse, and that becomes my verse for the day. Remember what I said about the enemy's lies. Half the battle is recognizing what those lies are, bringing them into the light. Because in the light is healing. So the first time I did this, I was a bit like, mm, 
a week on, I was like, well, I'm doing this, but I don't feel any different. But a few weeks, a few, a few weeks later, and, and I carried on. I've done this for 14 weeks now. A few weeks later, I was like, oh, I feel less weighed down. I feel lighter. The thoughts when they come aren't as intense. And actually, when I'm writing at the end of each day now, I don't have as much to write. I would never think that that would happen. But they're not as loaded. Before, I was carrying round them around with me like a heavy bag. But now, as I've brought them into the light, it's brought me freedom from the hold that they have. Now, you might be feeling inspired to do this yourself, but for whatever reason, this might feel like a step too far. And I said the word steps, but if this is the case, why don't you join me on steps? Through steps, as David and Jess so eloquently shared, we grow in awareness of the things that are holding us back, and we work through them in community. We create new habits that bring us out of captivity into freedom. I work on my stuff, you work on yours. But by doing it together, we're changing the narrative that we have to do these things by ourselves, And we grow as followers of Jesus. As they said earlier, our intro's tomorrow. If you want to come, please join me. And if you do want to do steps, but you can't make the intro, let me know and we'll make a plan. But either way, there is a loneliness epidemic. The Bible says, encourage one another daily. It's there for a reason, because we need it. When we speak aloud the things going on in our heads, it takes the shame, it takes the intensity out. Community groups are a brilliant idea for this reason. Steps, friends, sometimes counseling or pastoral support is a good option. God uses therapists all the time to help bring freedom but let's make sure we are including God in our journey of um, recovering from some of these negative thought patterns. One observation I've had is the temptation, because counseling is so much more readily accepted, and I think it is a wonderful thing. I absolutely love therapy. For It just helps process difficult experiences. I love it. But it's so important that we include God in that experience, whether that's in the therapy room or outside of it, because ultimately it is God who brings freedom. There's so much that he can do through prayer and a surrendered heart. When we come in his presence and meditate on his goodness and allow ourselves to be loved by him, it changes us. When we experience that love, we can then love ourselves and other people even more. And how amazing is that for the kingdom of God? When we have healthy um, Jesus followers going around loving other people in the way that God has loved them and does love them. So we're watchful. We're careful to uproot the weeds in our garden. And at the same time, we nurture our gardens. We can't think about nothing. And personally, it really irritates me when people say, oh, don't worry, or don't think about it, because you can't just switch off your brain. But you can redirect it. And this is where meditation comes into play. I'm going to share a story that I came across, which I really loved. Once upon a time, or the, so the Cherokee legend goes, a young Indian boy once received a beautiful drum as a gift. When his best friend saw it, he asked if he could play with it, but the boy felt torn. 
He didn't want to share his present, so he angrily told his friend no. His friend ran away, and the boy sat down on a rock by the stream to contemplate his dilemma. He hated the fact that he'd hurt his friend's feelings, but the drum was too precious to share. In his quandary, he went to his grandfather for advice. The elder listened quietly and replied, I often feel as though there are two wolves fighting inside me. One is mean and greedy and full of arrogance and pride, but the other is peaceful and generous. All the time they are struggling, and you, my boy, have those same two wolves inside of you. Which one will win, asked the boy. The elder smiled and said, the one you feed. What I love about this story is it's not about getting rid of negative thoughts. It's choosing what to pay more attention to. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, a bit of a confession. I used to find this verse a bit jarring, an added pressure to, feel, to think the right things. But then I realized this verse is actually for my benefit, because when I meditate on these things, it does me good, which has a ripple effect to those around me. And the incredible thing is that there is science behind this. I've been reading this fascinating book by Dr. Andrew Newberg, who is, he's not actually a Christian, but he's written a book called How God Changes Your Brain. He says this, if you contemplate God long enough, something surprising happens in the brain. Neural functioning begins to change. Different circuits become activated while others become deactivated. New dendrites are formed, new synaptic connections are made, and the brain becomes more sensitive to subtle realms of experience. Perceptions alter, beliefs begin to change, and if God has meaning for you, then God becomes neurologically real. He goes on to say, religious and spiritual contemplation changes your mind in a profoundly different way because it strengthens a neural circuit that specifically enhances social awareness and empathy while subduing destructive feelings and emotions. In other words, as we meditate on God, it increases compassion and empathy and decreases anger and fear. Meditation on God provides a buffer from stress, anxiety, and fear, and gives us more of a positive outlook. Isn't that amazing? When we focus on God's word, it changes us. In our brains, we have this thing called mirror neurons. They help us to connect and empathize and fit in with others. So if someone smiles at me, I'm likely to smile back. If someone's angry at me, I might flinch in fear or I might be angry back. So when our habits are um, revolve around God's word, it changes us. We mirror what we meditate on. So God is love, so I become more loving. God is joy. When I focus on him, I become more joyful. My thoughts become more like his thoughts. If that's not a reason to read your Bible every day, I don't know what is. In steps, we like to say growth is one day, at, one day at a time, one step at a time. It's through the trial and error that we meet our maker. So we choose to start our day with a worship song or contemplative prayer. 
We simplify our lives to allow space for reflection. We reach for our journals rather than our phones. We connect with our longing for God through a walk in nature or through fasting. And in those darker moments, we choose to remind ourselves that God's word is truer than any other story we tell ourselves. And what he says to us is that we are loved, we are made new, we are made holy, we are his children, and he has good plans for us. And even if it doesn't feel like the case, that is who we are. The mind is powerful, this much we know. And if we want to live wholeheartedly for Jesus, we need to continue to renew our minds. How do we do this? Watchfulness and meditation. We pull up the weeds and we tend to what is there. Maybe if the worship band would like to come up. I'd like to invite you to stand because I want to pray for us as we continue in worship. We can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. And he delights in coming to meet with us. And so I'm just going to provide space now to invite the Spirit to come. And if, if you would like to receive that, you might want to hold out your hands or close your eyes, whatever feels most comfortable to you. God, Jesus, I thank you that you are God over everything and that you are God over our minds. And we stand in awe of you this morning. You are truth. You are love. You are joy. You are hope. And God, where there are thoughts that we have been having that do not align with your word on who you say we are, we confess them now in Jesus' name. We're sorry where our behaviors haven't been honoring you. And we ask God for your Holy Spirit to come and heal those parts of us that feel dark or difficult right now. Those thoughts where, where we feel like they're holding us back. We ask for your freedom. In the Bible, Jesus says, be clean to the leper. And this morning, I believe he's saying, be free. Walk in the freedom that I have already given you. I bless you in Jesus' name that every power that has deceived you or held you captive may be broken over you. Hopelessness and addiction broken And we receive your Holy Spirit. We receive your love. And we choose to walk free. In Jesus' name, amen.